The Art of Beekeeping, Episode 5. Chad with the Art of Beekeeping coming to you from way down here in the deep south where the bees are currently bringing in red maple pollen and slowly building their numbers up. Uh, the nights are still pretty chilly for us, um, you know, sometimes in the 30s. And But it's been a few days. It gets up in, you know, close to 70. Uh, but I, I think, I hope, we're getting close to being done with all that. And... Uh, you know, maybe we can get out there and have a little more fun with the bees. Um, before I get into the topic, uh, you can contact me through our website at talcatcha.com. That's T-A-L-C-A-T-C-H-A.com. Or through our new site, artofbeekeeping.com. Or the, my email is chad at artofbeekeeping.com. Okay, subject matter. It's I started this a little late, so I'm just going to get into it. <clears throat> and I have gnats in here. I've got a, a like a little greenhouse in this room, starting plants, you know, peppers, tomatoes, and all that. And <clears throat> I've got gnats all in here, driving me crazy, like going up my nose while I'm talking. Okay, so tonight's topic is why we need more backyard beekeepers. And I got a list of things here, and I'll just try to run through them and give you my take on some of it and try to convince you as to why we need more backyard beekeepers, and maybe uh, maybe you could be one of them. All right. So, number one, <clears throat> to counter the general decline of colonies that we've seen since around 1945, uh, way before the bee apocalypse that we saw, a few years ago. Um, there's a graph I wish I could show you right now to explain this. Um, I think it was put out by some part of the USDA, I think, a NAS survey, NASS. Uh, but <clears throat> what you'll see is, uh, let me get down to it here, it starts at about 1939, at which you got about 4.5 million colonies this isn't just in the u.s and somewhere around 45 it climbs up to about 6 million colonies and then it's just a gradual decline all the way now there's a gap there was some information missing in the 80s but it's just been a general decline that whole time and um you know it's well, let me let me start off with some of the points I was going to make before I get into that. But okay, so most of the colonies in the U.S. are owned by commercial beekeepers, <clears throat> and they're used primarily for pollination. Um, so you've probably heard some of these numbers before that ten to twenty percent of the world production, world food production, is dependent on honeybees. Uh, a conservative estimate is somewhere like one out of every 10 to one out of every bites of uh, 
of food that you eat is honeybee dependent. You've probably heard it's more like one in three or something, but um, for reasons I won't go into, it's not a number I really believe. Um, there's a lot of depends in there, right? A lot of qualifiers with that number, and I'm not sure how they came up with that. But around 2006, uh, everybody heard about colony collapse disorder. And if you remember, it was just a big panic and the world's ending and uh, we're not going to have any food, all that. And there was a report came out from the USDA, I believe it was, said that we are losing about 35% of our colonies every year. So everybody, you know, said, okay, well, it's 35. We lose this year and we lose, you know, 35 next year. It seems like it's not going to take very long before we just don't have any colonies. And the, the piece of information that's missing from all that, I mean, that would be true if, if that's the way it happened. But um, beekeepers do things. They make splits to make up for losses. So uh, it's not quite how it happens. Now, and, and around 2006 when they came out, if you look at the graph, that I'm looking at, which I'll just try to explain it. Um, out of that long decline since around 1945, uh, it had actually gone up a little bit. So it was nothing new that we were losing colonies. And actually at that moment, that year, it had actually kind of just gone up slightly, not too much. It looks like a blip, you know. So uh, I don't remember anybody at that time ever you know, how the media gets <clears throat> and they get a little crazy with things, but I don't remember anybody ever bringing that up that, well, we've actually been losing colonies for a long time now. Uh, and then of course the colony collapse disorder term is something that, um, came up, a, a guy came up with that term and it was, I think he regrets it now. Um, uh, it, it doesn't, it was trying to describe something that nobody understood at the time. And everybody was jumping on everything. It was cell phones, it was cell phone towers, it was you name it, everything. And it was just sort of uh, hysterical, you know. And um, it, when, it was all, when it's all taken into account, um, well, I should say that we don't use that term anymore. They just pretty much say colony losses, which is a more accurate way to describe it. Um, the, uh, the colony collapse disorder kind of created more confusion than anything, I think. But um, it wasn't the end of the world. Um, beekeepers, I, I'm trying to remember some numbers. And I wish I, I, I wish I would have got them, but I can't remember them now that uh, I think they actually increased their numbers some of those years. But it's just, you know, they started splitting like crazy. There's things you can do, and they did them to save their businesses. Now, all that being said, um, we, we, they still have about, I think, 1% to 2% loss every year, even, you know, with all those measures they take. So that's still significant, <clears throat> and it still means, um, you know, Things could be better, and 
it also means that you have to work harder. You have to put in more money. That just means it's basically harder to to be a beekeeper now. If you hear people talk about in like in the seventies, it was like nothing, right? Uh, now you just have to do a lot more things that you didn't used to have to worry too much about. Uh, and of course, money. You got to throw more money at it with all those things, right? Especially with treatments and stuff like that, if that's the route you're going. So my overall point on all this is more backyard beekeepers uh, add to the number overall of all the colonies, <clears throat> and that spreads out the risk. So my pitch is, because of all this, because we, although it's not the end of the world, and we're not all gonna, you know, all the bees aren't gonna die and we're not all gonna die. But um, it's still a good idea, I think, to uh, have more beekeepers as opposed to more colonies consolidated into commercial beekeepers. Uh, number two, genetic diversity. Not having all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Now there was a potato called the Irish Lumper and that was the variety of potato uh, that was most widely cultivated during the, uh, the uh, what am I trying to say, the, the, the potato famine in Ireland uh, prior to 1840s. And, of course, it got hit with a fungus, a potato blight, that wiped out that potato, which they depended so much on. And of course, that potato had a low genetic variation, so it really got wiped out. There were other things, uh, you know, to contribute to all that, of course, um, besides the potato problem. But the point is, relying on one crop with uh, low genetic variation is always asking for trouble. And that still happens. We're still doing that, um, you know, more than ever, really. And the same can be said for any organism if it's an agricultural um you know an agricultural animal which bees are so you know commercial beekeepers select for traits that are advantageous to them uh, since the industry in america revolves around pollination the traits that they um are choosing are for better pollination those are the ones they select for and resistance to, to disease uh, you know things like hygienic behavior might be another example but the point is that there is um, that there's a push for a particular type of bee so genetic variation is not really the priority there but genetic variation is what saves your ass when an unexpected issue comes up and you know it could be anything it could be pest uh, pesticides any kind of pathogen fungus bacteria virus uh, parasites maybe it's too hot it's too cold it's too wet it's too dry any of these things and having that genetic variation uh, to pull from is definitely advantageous um, the more backyard beekeepers there are then the more genetic variation there, variation there's going to be on the whole. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, your queens are going to mate with drones outside your bee yard, and your drones are 
your drones are going to mate with queens outside your bee yard. Um, you know, that's a pain for people that are trying to um, achieve or retain any sort of particular traits. But organisms do what's in their own best interest. And genetic, genetic, can't talk, genetic diversity is um, it's like a toolbox against the things that come out of left field. It's the flexibility in, um, in your plan that makes you successful. So the more backyard beekeepers are, you spread, spread out over different regions with different environments and different selection pressures, all the better. Okay, number three is to, what do I have here? I think I got a word missing, but um, I know what I was trying to say is to reconnect with nature and where our food comes from. There's a term that I was hearing a few years ago that I don't hear much about anymore. Let me get a drink. <clears throat> called biophilia. I think this came up with uh, E.O. Wilson, you know, the, the biologist. I don't remember, but anyway, it the definition of this is, uh, or at least the one I found, is the innate human instinct to connect with nature and other living things. And that it, um, this connecting with nature, it increases cognitive function, uh, physical health and psychological well-being, all these things. And of course, we all kind of know this, right? And it gets written about in other ways. And I, you know, I think everybody feels this. Otherwise, you wouldn't have parks, right? You wouldn't. Most people, I think, I think most people like to go out and take a walk or get out of the building. I think most people get kind of stir crazy if they're cooped up in an office or their house for very long. And some people have um, more opportunities to do that than others. You know, it just depends on where you're, where you live, the lifestyle that you live and um, beekeeping is one way to do that. It's, it, it's a reason it doesn't have to be beekeeping. It could be anything, but that's one reason to do it. Um, there was a quote I had put out somewhere on social media the other day from Wendell Berry that said, eating is an agricultural act. And I'm always kind of amazed when I hear somebody say that they, I, I've heard some crazy things. I can't remember now who I heard this from, but actually people not really understanding where things come from, like eggs. Um, you know, as far as some people are concerned, they come from the store or meat or whatever it is, you know, produce. And I, that's, that can't be healthy. I don't think, I think you, you really need to be connected more than that. Uh, than thinking that everything just magically shows up in the store. Um, you know, in Thomas Jefferson's uh, notes on the state of Virginia, he argued that America should be founded or built on agrarianism. And he said, um, let our workshops remain in Europe. 
and he was sort of arguing let them do you know the um uh, you know the the building of things and all this and i think he thought you know america would be more of supplying the raw products and of course he had a, a very different vision than a lot of people did it's one that i wish we would have gone with and i think we'd all be happier if we did and he, he kind of i think he saw everybody as having a little bit of land to work with and to um let the mindset grow out of that type of life now we obviously didn't go that way and we got hamilton's version of america instead and i think it shows now and you know just something i throwing in there that uh i this is just my personal opinion of course and i think i, I just think it would be better if we could get somehow a little bit of that back i don't we're never going to get that vision i think that he had but um i think we would be happier now less than two percent of americans farm it's about 1.3 percent i believe yet a hundred percent of americans eat right that's a pretty big disconnect and um, I would just argue, you know, do people seem happy to you? At least as happy as they should be. Uh, you know, I could bring in all sorts of uh, statistics here on antidepressants, anxiety, and things like that. And, you know, the only point I'm trying to make here with this one is just that uh, beekeeping is just one thing that you can do to reconnect with nature. And understand where your food comes from and to get um, that understanding back that connection back but there you know there's other ways of doing it of course you could do it through all sorts of things uh, gardening farming anything but I just thought I'd throw that in there that beekeeping is one way to do that and you know it can be a pretty a pretty fun and and sometimes intense way to get that feeling uh, number four this is kind of an extension of number three I guess the intellectual and spiritual enjoyment problem-solving neuronal connections immersion in nature okay so beekeeping is an intellectual pursuit as well as a spiritual pursuit it can kind of be an artistic pursuit um, also um, I'm probably not going to get into that, uh, kind of saving that for something else, but you know, there's, there's gotta be something to it. If you're willing to go out there and, you know, mess with little critters that can sting you if, if you piss them off. Right. There's, there's something there. I don't think most people do that just for the fun of it. Um, the intellectual part of it is that, <clears throat> It requires a knowledge base, which you get through, you know, mentors, bee clubs, books, articles, videos, you know, YouTube, all that stuff. All of these activities add to your knowledge of not just not just honeybees, but 
uh, biology in general, right? You learn about insects, you learn about plants, uh, uh, pathogens, uh, pests and pesticides. So there, there's a lot there to stimulate anybody who likes to think about all these sorts of things. It's not, it's not a, you know, a lazy man's pursuit, I don't think. Um, much of the point of learning all these things is to, is to provide the knowledge uh, to solve problems. Uh, and there's usually more than one answer to a problem. Some, sometimes you have to experiment and try things out and make note of things and then try it all over again. Uh, these are, you know, intellectual pursuits in my book. Um, the spiritual part of it is a little bit harder to talk about um, because that's a lot more individualistic. You know, it's it's hard to explain to a non-hunter the spiritual aspect of making a kill or to someone who's um, sat, you know, the person I was talking about earlier, earlier, that's perfectly satisfied to go buy their food at the store and trying to explain to them that deep satisfaction that you get from gardening, right? To them, it just looks like, um, a pain, right? It looks like an extra step or sometimes spending a lot more money than what you would spend at the store when it's all said and done. Certainly more work, right? Uh, so likewise, some people have no desire to go through frames of brood and look at all the activity that goes on, you know, on a, on a frame of, or on, on a comb and do all those things. Or maybe standing, uh, you know, I like, if I see a swarm, sometimes I like to just go stand in it as it's forming because it, that's, uh, it's just full of life, you know, it's like, it's witnessing a birth of a new colony. Some people appreciate those things. Some people don't. But anyway, that's what I mean by the spiritual aspect of it. I don't know if that's a good word for it. That's just the, the word that I chose. <laughs> um, okay, the so number five. It is a gateway drug. I don't know if that's a good term, but it's, it's like a gateway drug to being a better conservationist and appreciation for all the things that entails, you know, uh, pollinators, plants, pesticides, you know. So a funny thing happens when you become a beekeeper. You suddenly keep tabs on uh, things like weather patterns, uh, tree budding patterns whether a plant produces more pollen versus nectar or vice versa or uh, pesticide use, the presence of native pollinators and other insects. Beekeeping kind of makes you recognize that you have skin in the game. Now you always have skin in the game, but um, it, it just sort of makes you recognize it, I guess. It's when you become um, responsible for another creature, I think, 
and then the, the sort of nurture aspect comes out. And that's really the essence of farming. Uh, and, and you know what we were talking about earlier with, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson with the agrar agrarianism or Wendell Berry, they talk about these things. It's that connection to the soil. It's that connection to the animal. It's a, it's a nurturing quality to care for whatever it is that you're taking care of, whether it's something with a hoof or it's something with a wing, right? It's, you're, you're still caring for that thing. <laughs> Excuse me. So, uh, you can't care for bees in isolation because they're not isolated. And of course, neither are you. Um, you're both integral parts of, of nature, of your environment. And, you know, whether you're talking about the bees, you're talking about you, uh, you've both got your own proclivities, your own interests, and your your own responsibilities. So it's kind of worth asking yourself, you know, uh, who or what the bees care for, um, because that kind of leads to the question of who or what do you care for? Uh, the answer, you know, might be the bees. It might be something else. But it, it reminds you that everything's connected. And caring for one thing often means caring for uh, numerous things. And that's kind of the, um, you know, the nature of conservation. But I say all that and, you know, you can, you can, I'm not saying that so that somebody will get worked up about, um, you know, the pesticide use and industrial farming and all these things. Now, I have opinions about all this stuff for sure, but going out and trying to change the world is always fraught with uh, problems and never seems to work. If that's what the stated aim is in the beginning. But changing your backyard, that's doable. Changing you is, do is doable. Um, you know, hell, other people may actually see you doing that and then want to do it too, right? You never know. And before you know it, you're at least changing a little part of the world. But I think uh, keeping bees is one way to change that little part. Uh, you can, there's a lot of people that want to write petitions and all those sorts of, sorts of things and get involved in all these big things. I don't have a problem with that. I'm just uh, making, you know, saying that I've never noticed a whole lot comes of that. And usually um, you end up either giving people money that somehow it never gets to where it's supposed to be or uh, you help people get in positions or things like that, that maybe that wasn't your intent. But I am all about uh, doing real things that actually make a difference. And uh, beekeeping leads you down that road of conservation in a very real way where you start caring about, um, you start care, caring about things that you can actually change. You know, you may want to plant more plants, more trees, or um, cut back on the pesticides. You may take interest in 
some of the things that are going on in your neighborhood or even your county. But uh, beekeeping has a way of doing that. You know, there's a lot of things I did not pay attention to. Um, I think it was like my second year of beekeeping and suddenly I realized it's like every time I'm like, you know, maybe in the fall and I'm making note of uh, all the goldenrod for every pasture I go through and, and it just makes you pay attention to things like that. Okay, so it's kind of late, so I'm not going to go. That's that's about all I had on it, and I know that's not a very long one, but I'm just going to leave it there, and hope everyone has a good week. All right, later. Uh -huh.